guys. Greg Wareham with Your Mortgage Process. Thank you so much for joining in today. So I want to talk to everybody a little bit about building wealth through real estate. And I had hosted an event at the end of March. We had a really good turnout. We had about 300 people show up for the event. And we really got some great reviews from it. So I want to spend some time with the audience today going through some of the highlights that we had spoken about. Now, I have the book. I literally wrote the book. So I want to go through a couple of key points that are important through building wealth with real estate. So the first place I'm going to start is I'm going to talk about home value trends. And since 1991, the average growth rate on a real estate has grown at 4.4%. So that's year over year over year. And that's even factoring in some of the dips that we had over that course of time. Now, you might be surprised to know since 2000, the average growth rate is 4.7%. So I think some of us think because, excuse me, because uh, properties have appreciated so much over the past few years that that growth rate may be higher. But what we have to factor in is there are also some extreme dips in the marketplace as well that impact that. So when you look at 1991 to today, it's 4.4%. When you look at 2000 to today, it's 4.7%. So with that being said, then I think it's reasonable to operate on the presumption that a future growth rate will be at the same thing. It'll be at 4.4 or 4.5% over the course of time. So it's proving, again, that real estate as an investment long term is always a win for the homeowner. So the next thing I wanted to talk about or that we went through in detail were interest rate trends. So drum roll for this one. The average interest rate since 1971 through 2023 is 7.75%. That's 7.75% since 1971. So when you start to break things down in detail and you you group things into 15-year increments, you see from like 1975 through the late 80s, you know, your average interest rate was double digits. When you get into the 90s to about 2005, 2006, interest rates were averaging 7 to 8%. Now, the anomaly to that is when you get to 2007 to the current day, that's where you really see interest rates on average being around 5%. So why is that? And why is that an outlier? As we all know, when you look at the Great Recession that hit us in 2008, 9, and 10, that really negatively impacted our economy as, as a whole. And what the federal government did is they took some action to reduce interest rates to keep the economy going. So we had some artificially low interest rates relative to that recession. And as things started to rebound, 2017, 18, 19, we started seeing interest rates go back up again. And then what hit? COVID, a global pandemic that shut down the whole world. And as a result of that, I mean, we saw interest rates drop into the high twos or into the threes for an extended period of time. Now, since we've come out of that, as we all know, interest rates have started to come back up again in order to get back to their normal trend that you would expect. Now, whether or not the Federal Reserve should have increased interest rates over the past year as much as they have. I guess that's up for debate. I think we all know at this time that's an, it was a hedge to kind of offset inflation. I'm not going to get anything political, but when you look at where interest rates are today, you know, it's about average as to what you would expect over the long term. So the next thing that I wanted to go through is principal and interest payments. 
And this is really interesting. So when we look at the year 2000, the average value of a home was 155000 and the average interest rate was 8%. And that gave a monthly principal and interest payment of 1142 In 2006, we saw a huge jump in the value of real estate. So values went from 155000 to 325000 but interest rates had come down a little, and that gave us a payment of $2,035 a month. All right, now we hit that recessionary area where we see the values come down on the properties, and we also see rates drop. So in 2012, the average value dropped to 260000 Interest rates dropped to 3.66% on average, and it gave us a monthly payment of 1190 And why I wanted to illustrate that for you is you look at that 12-year interval from 2000 to 2012, mortgage interest payments, they almost stayed the same, right? Because of the difference in values and the difference in the interest rates. Payment in 2000 is 1142 Payment in 2012 is 1190 So you didn't really see too much of a difference. As we've, get, as we've moved along and values have went up and interest rates have went up, currently we're looking at your average value of 425000 Average interest rates been hovering 6.75. We've seen them lower. We've seen them higher. And that gives us a monthly payment of $2,756. And kind of landing the plane on this, the increase in mortgage payments from 2000 to, to excuse me to 2023 they've increased at 4.1% per year so that's how much mortgage payments have increased over that course of time now to go back to what i was just talking about a minute ago what have house, what has housing risen by and housing has risen by an average of closer to 4.5% so we see mortgage payments going up at 4.1% and we see housing going up at at least 4.5% over that time since 2000. So the next question is, well, what's rental going up by? And I want you to ponder that one for a second. Mortgage payments are up 4.1%. Values are up 4.5%. How much are rental payments going up by? And the answer to the question is 6.2%. So the average cost of a rental is increasing more, the average cost of rental payment is increasing more than the average cost of a mortgage payment. So, and that's significant when you look at home ownership, because when you have home ownership and you've locked in that rate, you know that you're going to gain the appreciation over the course of time. With rent, you're going to gain no appreciation only the landlord's going to gain the appreciation, and you're going to see your rental payment statistically going up 6.2% per year. So we can see since 2000 to currently, we know that everything's going up at 4.1% per year from a mortgage payment standpoint. But I want to talk a little bit as to how interest rates impact that mortgage payment as well. Because sometimes as a consumer, you think that a difference of a quarter percent or half a percent interest rate can be several hundred dollars per month. And it's just not always the case. And I'm going to give you an example. So if you took out a mortgage today, at 425,000 and let's say the interest rate is 6.75%. Your mortgage payment is 2756 per month. Let's see what happens if the interest rates go down. So if the interest rate drops by a quarter of a percent, it's 6.5%, the payment's 2682 a month. At 6.25%, the payment's 2617 a month. At 6% 
it's 2548 and at 5.75%, it's 2480. So in that example, we can see the difference between 6.75 and 5.75. I mean, that's about $275 a month difference in mortgage payment. So that can have a big impact, and all of which is interest on that payment. But when you start getting into quarter percent uh, intervals, it's not going to have a significant change on what your monthly mortgage payment is. So it's just something to keep in mind. Uh, Moving forward... I wanted to also just take a minute to talk about credit. You know, the one thing that we cannot do is we can't control what's going on in the market for interest rates. The market's going to fluctuate. It's going to come up and down. Different things are going to have different impact on the interest rate environment. The one thing that we can control is we can control our credit grade. And over the past month, Fannie Mae had changed what are called their loan level price adjustments for the consumer. And one of the biggest changes in there is they changed what the highest credit grade is. For years, the highest credit grade was a uh, 740 credit score, FICO score. They changed that. And now to get the best interest rate, you have to have a 780 credit score. So we have to be very aware and very cognitive of where our credit is and where our credit's going to make sure that we're optimizing the best interest rate that's available in the market. I did want to give a shout out to Square One Credit Management because they were also involved in the presentation with me that I had done at the end of March. And they're a great company that can help you from a credit standpoint if you need advice as to how to get your credit score up. So moving forward on everything, I want to talk about one of my favorite topics, which is renting. I don't really like talking about renting because I don't think anybody should rent. But I'm going to go through a couple of things with you. So you might be surprised to know that the median rent in New Jersey is $2,822 a month. That's the median rent in New Jersey, $2,822 a month. It's high. So what's the average rent of a one-bedroom property in New Jersey, it's almost $2,400 a month. It's $2,396 a month. And with that being said, I got a question for everyone out there in the audience. Does New Jersey have rent control? What, what was that? Do we have rent control? The answer is no. The state of New Jersey has no rules on rent control. Now, different municipalities may, but the state doesn't have any. From a state standpoint, that rent could double overnight. Now, some municipalities do control that, so you can only increase it to a certain level, but it's something to be very aware of in our state. Now, question for you in reference to rental increases over the course of the past two years. Now, we know that the value of properties have increased pretty significantly over the past couple of years, but I think what people would be surprised to know is the cost of rent over the past two years has went up 32%. 32% for something you don't even own. You're basically leasing a property for you to live in and you're gaining no equity, you're getting no advantages from a tax standpoint. 32% it went up. Now, I'm gonna rewind the tape here to uh, a great year, 2000, the millennial, the millennium. In 2000, the median rent in the state of New Jersey was $751 a month. All right, so we got to hop in the Wayback Machine for a second. I'm going to rewind the tape to 2000. Now, in 2000, 
I would have been, I was out of college for almost a decade at that point. I remember I was renting at the time. And you might be surprised to know that renting back then for an apartment, the, the median rent was $751 a month. $751 a month. And I got this vision of sitting around in my apartment and talking to people saying, hey, where do you think rents will be in 20 years from now? And I would never believe them that rents would have jumped up to $2,800 a month because it just sounds absolutely ridiculous. But it happened and it will continue to happen. So as we talked about before, the average rent has increased at 6.2% and mortgage payments have increased at 4.1%. And you really got to look at that and make the conclusion, what's the better deal for you? So kind of moving forward through the book. And then at the end, I'm going to tell you I can get a copy of my book. I want to take a look at a quick wealth building scenario for you. So here's the here's scenario number one. So if we're paying $500,000 for a house and we're putting down $100,000, that means that we do a mortgage for $400,000. Say we did a 30-year fixed, and let's just say that the interest rate is 6.75%. That would give you a monthly principal and interest payment of $2,594 a month. Now, let's also operate in the presumption that property taxes are $9,000 a year, which they could be in New Jersey at $750 a month. Homeowners insurance is running about $1,500 a year or $125 a month. That gives you a total mortgage payment of $3,469 a month. Well, that's definitely higher than the $2,833 a month you'd pay for rent. But what I want to go through is the type of wealth that you can build over the course of time through owning the real estate. So after 10 years of being in that mortgage, even if you make no overpayments to principal, you would have reduced the amount that you owe on the property by $59,000. So you borrowed $400,000. Now it's $59,000 less than you owe. That's equity, right? That's your money if you ever sell your house. Now, in addition to that, if we know that property values statistically increase at 4.5% per year, that $500,000 home that you purchased, your property value would have went up to $776,000. Think about that one for a second. So you picked up $59,000 in, in principal reduction. Your property went from half a million to 776000 So when you look at those numbers, how much money in equity did you gain over that course of time statistically? And you would have gained about $335,000 of equity over a 10-year time frame. All right, so take that number, divide it by 10. You're picking up $30,000 per year in equity in owning the house versus paying the landlord where you're just going to be making that rental payment and it's statistically going to go up 6.2% per year. Now, on the flip side of that, let's say, hey, I don't want to buy a house and, you know, I'm not comfortable and I'm waiting for different things to change. Okay, well, let's look at what the cost of renting can be. So if you're renting a property and it costs you $28.33 a month and statistically rents are increasing at 6.2%, At the end of 10 years, your rent payment will be $5,150 per month. How much is your mortgage payment? 
Well, your mortgage payment was $3,469 per month. Now, it was certainly higher in the short term as compared to the rent, but over the course of time, with rentals getting progressively more expensive, your payment on your house or your home that you're living in is going to be lower than what rent would be longer term, plus you're building the equity. And that's the importance of education. You know, this could help. This helps you as the listener. If you're a real estate agent, it can help you with your buyers. It can help you with your sellers. If you're a mortgage person, understanding the math is critically important. And these are the types of conversations that I have on a regular basis with the consumer and with the business partners that I work with. Now, I want to fast forward over to another scenario because this scenario was geared towards rental properties. So here's the scenario I'm going to give you. So let's say we're buying a rental property for $500,000 and we're putting down 25%. 25% is going to give you a slightly better interest rate than putting down 20%. So I'm going to use it for this illustration. And $125,000, you end up borrowing $375,000. Interest rates are higher on rental properties than they are on primary residences. So I'm going to use 7.5% for an interest rate. So your monthly principal and interest in that scenario would be $26.22 a month, Property taxes, still $9,000 a year, $750 a month. And let's say your homeowner's is more expensive because you have a tenant in there. And I'm going to call it $2,400 a year, which is actually really aggressive. It's not going to be, shouldn't be quite that high. That gives you a total monthly payment of $2,572 a month. Now, let's say you can rent that property for essentially break even, right? You're renting it for $3,600 a month. So you're not making any money on a cash flow basis on a monthly basis. But what I want to illustrate to you is what you gain over the course of time. So as I had said before, if rents are increasing at 6.2% per year over the course of 10 years, that rent of $3,600 a month would now be $6,570 a month. I know it's hard to believe, but statistically, that's where it would be longer term. Now, after 10 years of paying that mortgage, you would have reduced your principal by $50,000, and it's going to be lower than the primary residence because the interest rates are higher. Property would have increased still by 4.5% per year, so that $500,000 house is still worth $776,000 longer term, and you would have gained a total of about $266,000 in equity over the course of that time. Now, I factored in there the cost to close on the loan as well, so we don't have any random variables in there. That's statistically the amount of money that you would have gained over the course of time. So then what you have to ask yourself is my initial $125,000 investment that I made, you know, what was the return on that to have earned $266,000 long-term? And that's a great question for your financial advisor as well. Do the numbers work statistically? Or you can pick up the phone, you can call me, and we can go through those numbers in detail. So I hope that that helps from a standpoint of understanding how real estate can be a great asset for you long term. I mean, one thing that's been clear to me over the course of time is every wealthy person that I meet has real estate, and they have a lot of real estate. Well, why? because they understand the numbers and how that creates wealth over the course of time. The other thing that they understand are the tax advantages with owning real estate. When you look at your primary residence, 
up to seven hundred and fifty of up to a seven hundred and fifty thousand dollar mortgage, that interest is going to be tax deductible for you every year. Property taxes can be tax deductible for you. On a rental property, you're going to have deductions. Now, I'm not a CPA. You should reach out to your CPA or reach out to me. I can give you a referral for a CPA. But there are tremendous tax advantages associated with real estate. Well, why? Well, who writes the tax codes? Rich people write the tax codes, right? People in the government, they all have money. And these tax codes uh, benefit people that own real estate, and they benefit the wealthy. So it's something to keep in mind when you're deciding whether or not you're going to purchase real estate. So I just want to sum a couple of things up with building wealth through real estate that can really help you and can help your clients that you're working with. One, we know that statistically the value of real estate is going to go up about 4.5% per year. We know that from an equity standpoint, with the reduction in principle and the growth in value over the course of time, it's a win. You're going to make money. We know that there's tax advantages associated with owning real estate, whether or not it's your primary residence or it's an investment property. And those are things that should be communicated to your clients. If you have any questions or you want me to get involved in having any of these conversations, please reach out. So you can email me at greg at yourmortgageprocess.com or you can pick up the phone and call me, area code 385-519-HOME. So that's 385-519-HOME. I'm gonna, but before we wrap up, I'm gonna give you guys one more little bonus. Who wants to be a millionaire through saving money over the course of time? You want to know? Well, I have all the numbers. Pick up the phone and call me. I'll go through it with you in detail. So in addition to that, if you want a copy of this book that I had put together that breaks down these things in detail with different charts and graphs, again, just reach out to me. I can forward it over to you. And if you have any questions or you need anything from a mortgage standpoint, again, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. Okay, that's a tease. Thanks, guys. I look forward to catching up with you next week. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of Your Mortgage Process, hosted by Greg Wareham, produced by Greg Wareham and Nick Pavis at The Social Rift, and executively produced by The Social Rift. Thank you again for tuning in, and we look forward to catching up with you next week.